Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data. This is the first episode of 2020, and I couldn't be more excited to start off what I think will be a fantastic year with all of you. I have with me right now Gustavo Alvarenga. He is a PhD student working on a new time series model and a variety of other projects that I think will be very interesting to all of you. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the first DataFem episode of the year. Please remember to give us a rating and a review when you're done. about um, what your model is like what are you what are you studying um, and how has it changed um, since you started like what mm -hmm. major shifts have been made okay so I'm trying to come up with a new time series model for forecasting and one of the things that I wanted from like start was that it's easy to use and like right after I graduated my undergrad I started to work for the Brazilian Institute for Applied Economic Research and like doing econometric analysis, modeling, all that. And I noticed that a lot of researchers that are not from like the stat or the STEM areas, they have kind of a little bit of trouble like programming and like doing things that for us uh, are trivial. And so I wanted something that like anyone could use. And so that was one of the difficulties with that because like time series models and like forecasting are, are anything but trivial. And, yeah. and yeah, and finding a model that uh, has better accuracy than all the other models that are there that we have today it's uh, trickier than I thought. It's interesting. I actually, with my MBA at Tulane, I started out doing time series um, in Excel. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, nice. yeah. And, oh. you know, my professor is a total genius. I, I'm happy that we did that in our statistics class because it was really hard, but I was able to really understand the um, concept of it, you know, when you like mm -hmm. cut and paste down five rows <laughs> and then do a regression with that. Um, yeah. It sounds ridiculous, but then, you know, in R takes three command lines. I wouldn't even know what's going on at all if, mm -hmm. um, you know, I hadn't really studied it in Excel. So I'm sure like you've looked at every single time series model out there. Um, and yeah, some are easier than others for sure. I'm really excited to see what yours is. Maybe that'll be the new um, go-to, you know, what people teach 
in their stats classes in the future. <laughs> well, I hope so. I mean, that's kind of like, uh, like bold to say that, but uh, what I'm using as a guidance, so we have these mm -hmm. forecasting competitions and there was one this year. So I'm trying to um, use their, their results to see if I can do better. And um, some models are very complicated. They use a blend of like statistical methods and like machine learning methods. Uh, there are others who use a combination of forecasts. And like I said, for someone who doesn't like understand all the little details of these methods, it's, it's hard to get something from it. It's not like a, a regression that like everyone can can understand and like mm -hmm. assuming that everybody understands regression which is a favorable way to view humankind that is true so yes yeah, so the less uh, assumptions and complications you have uh, i think that the better you will fare in this world like in terms of like developing a method so i wanted that from the get-go and my advisor was on board and our method is kind of like a blend of everything that is good mm -hmm. from like different methods uh but we are also um adding our own flavor to it um i'm trying not to say much about it because it has changed a lot in the last two years and I don't know if it's going to be the same six months from now, but uh, I'm getting good results now. I'm getting competitive results in terms of accuracy um, with regards with the other methods from the competition. Uh, but it's still, I'm trying to improve on it. And I don't know. Let's see if it's going to be the go-to method in the next couple of years. It's really exciting. Do you have a name for it? <laughs> uh, I do. So it's called the Gears Method, G-E-A-R-S. Mm -hmm. So it's the Generalized and Rolling Sample Method for Time Series Forecasting. Bam. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a catchy name, I hope. <laughs> it's very catchy. You know, yeah. you can think of it like getting your gears turning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I have the sticker for it already uh, that I use ggplot to to produce, and like it's a uh, it has some gears and like and yeah, it looks good. And I was supposed to talk about it on a conference uh, this past uh, spring, but I broke my arm and I couldn't finish my presentation in time and all that. Uh, but maybe this year, this next year, 2020. Yeah, that would be amazing. Well, you mentioned ggplot. So is R a language that you're using while you're developing gears? I'm writing everything in R and I'm also, uh, coming up with a web application that I'm using shiny, nice. uh, which is an R package for those who don't know. Uh, yeah. And it's great. You can upload your data set, your selected variables that you want, some other uh, options for the model, and just click a button and that's it. 
I think, you know, nowadays data visualization is kind of taking over our data science world in a lot of ways. Like it's not enough just to have the back end code that works. Like you need to be able to show it in a schnazzy way, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of forecasting in R with, well, the forecasting package and <laughs> also just mathematical calculations where appropriate. But I wouldn't say that. Mm -hmm it's organized in a way that somebody who doesn't want to, you know, just delve into every single pathway that R takes you down, you know, that person is just going to give up at some point. Kind of like you said, like they don't want to go through all of the steps to understand R, they just want their forecast. And I think like, you know, you're doing the work to make it easy for them. Um, and I think, you know, that's really great. I have another friend who is working to, using machine learning to, um, you know, make the research process, like finding articles for, um, you know, PhD papers and things like that. So like a whole name matching thing, I think whatever makes the process easier is good. Um, honestly, I'm really curious about just cultural differences in the world of statistics in Brazil versus here in the U.S., like just what you've noticed, because you said that you're going to go back to Brazil at least for a bit. So, you know, I'm sure you think about that a lot going to school here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, so I've been doing this since 2004 in a way. So with my undergrad and then like my master's in economics and econometrics. And what I noticed is that my undergrad degree was great in the sense that we covered everything that we're doing right now. We had like data visualizations, we had like machine learning models, even though we didn't call it that, that, that at that time. Uh, we understood the methods, programming with R, with uh, SAS, uh, SQL. Uh, mm -hmm. It was very complete, but it's still um, outside academia, outside the university, if you go to the companies, if you work for the government, like uh, I was really, really lucky to work uh, at the Brazilian Institute for Applied Research uh, for a for like almost four years because I was at a place that they understood the statistics. It was a place that they would uh, appreciate what we were doing, what we were trying to do, all the models mm -hmm. and all that. Like a lot of my classmates, they weren't so lucky. They worked for places in which uh, they had issues explaining um, a line chart for uh to a manager you know and mm -hmm. these types of things were an, an issue and like it's gone better uh, but with still with the machine learning uh there's a lot of people who think it's a black box but like there's differences between the methods like the supervised ones and the unsupervised ones and how do you explain these things uh, to managers and, and everything else, everyone else. Uh, and I, what I've seen in the U.S. is that like they have a bigger understanding 
and of these methods and mm -hmm. you can talk more easily with managers like about oh what well, I'm, I'm trying to do this i'm trying to do that uh, i need this uh, equipment i need this software um, i think it's those are the main differences that i notice um, and in academia here the biggest difference is that at this in my school, uh, we are very focused on like theoretical, uh, mathematical statistics. And sometimes I think that that can get away of the applied part. And uh, in Brazil, it, at least my university, it was very, it was a big blend, you know? We were worried about like understanding all the details from uh, the methods, all the theory but we will also want to see how it worked. So do you think um, you're able to bring, I guess, a different perspective than your school now is used to because of your master's in statistics in Brazil? Yes, um, and it's one of the good things about my advisor. We kind of complement each other. Mm -hmm. he's, uh, he's great, like, in theoretical stats he's oh my god he's just amazing and he has these awesome ideas and that's why uh, I wanted to work with him uh, but like when it comes to like programming and shiny and the issues uh, of the code and bugs and everything uh, he's not as helpful as when I have questions about when I have questions about the theory uh, but he knows um, who I should talk to, so that's a great thing as well. So he always like, oh, I had a student that worked with this, like send him an email or her an email and like talk to them and see what you can come up with. Sounds like it. Um, it seems like you've had a lot of deep training in math and statistics and, you know, econometrics, but in terms of learning R, are you mainly self-taught or did your program specifically get you on the right foot learning about R and Shiny and all the packages you need? So back in Brazil, I learned a lot in, about R and SAS uh, during my undergrad. Uh, we had mm -hmm. classes on it, which was great. Um, but I got to say that most uh, of my learning was just trying stuff. You know, yeah. uh, and Twitter has been great in this sense because it, it gives me so many ideas of things to do. Like, oh my God, I want to see that I found out this data set. Uh, I have questions about it. Let's see what we can come up with. And then just trying to figure stuff out, how to merge data sets, how to do this, how to do that, how to create uh nice uh, data viz using R and with Shiny it was uh, self-taught. Yeah, I mean, it seems like your projects are really what drives you. So would you say, I mean, obviously everybody's looking for the magic word in terms of how to get good at programming fast, but would you say like the best way is to, like you do, like find a data set you're interested in and just, then just use that as a means to get invested in all the techniques you want to learn? I was always curious about things 
Uh, I always wanted to be a scientist. Well, now I'm a data scientist, so I guess that counts. The other day with the with the Perky Blue challenge uh, about like health issues in the Philippines and like the differences uh, between like the social classes in terms of access to health and all that. I was like, oh, that is interesting. So I wonder if there is data about that. So I just went online and started Googling things and I found the data set. I was like, okay, now I have this. So what can I get out of it? How can I transform this into like actual information? I mean, the more I see people like you you know, doing your thing, the more it makes me view data science, like, yes, as a science, but also as an art. And, you know, you can't force art, you can't force people to be genuinely able to use that type of expression. And even though data science is clearly the next hot thing, um, I still feel like you really need that drive and that passion for it that makes you just want to look up data sets. You know, it can't be something that's faked and it can't be something that anyone is going to just want to do because it takes all that time and that hours to get practice and your job is never going to be enough. Like you have to be willing to do explore, like exploration on your own and be excited about it to really get anywhere. And you are definitely the poster child for that, for sure. Um, but let's talk about Twitter because that's where we got acquainted. Um, you're very active on there. Well, you're, you are sometimes and then other times you're grading. But I feel like you know your way around Twitter really well. And I guess, you know, now is a good time to tell people, like, what are you using it for? Like, where, where does Twitter fit in in terms of your strategy, in terms of all your projects? It gives me ideas. Uh, that's... A good thing and a bad thing about it, because sometimes when I have an idea, I, I can't work on anything else until I get it done. Uh, sometimes I see uh, a map of something. I was like, oh, I wonder how uh, this map would be for Brazil. So I stop everything that I'm doing and... I can only go back to the things that I'm working on after I'm done with this map. So it's really good because there are so many great people there that like have these amazing ideas. And like, like you said, the database community is great and it's like very strong there. The data science community as a whole is very active on Twitter. And it was something that I, I had no idea. Uh, I just started Twitter, like, I just got on Twitter, like, three years ago, and I readily used it until one day I try to uh, search for something data science related on Twitter, and I went through this rabbit hole, and I found all these uh, amazing people uh, with ideas and, like, books and like, oh, I have this new package that does this. Um, and people helping each other out. And that's really great. Yeah. I mean, it is a really, it's a growing and it's a enthusiastic community. And I think what I love about Twitter is that no matter what community you decide to be a part of, it's going to be tight-knit no matter how big it is and enthusiastic. 
um, and welcoming. Yeah, and welcoming you know? because it's crazy. You know, academia can be such a lonely place. Snot fest. You know, people are just so like into their own stories, but on Twitter somehow it's like very collaborative. Um, kind of brings out the best in you know, academia, which is what I like to think there's obviously, you know, sometimes people tweet things and it's just, you know, it becomes an angry rant across the whole platform. But, you know, even that can be endearing looking back. But I love your chats too, because um, I, I have fun always. And it makes me think about uh, data science in a way that I wasn't, you know, Sometimes you ask uh, some of the questions. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I never thought about that. And then I started to start to wonder and like it. And I discovered more about data science, about myself and all that. I was like, wow, I didn't know that. So thanks for that. That's really good to hear. I mean, your responses always do the same for me. Like, that's why I have the chats so mm -hmm. that I can, you know, it, get all these insights from the community and you're always so good about including every link I would need to like really <laughs> follow you down the pipeline. You know, you're not just yeah. saying like, I did this cool thing once, you know, you actually show me the link and take the time to do that, which actually makes a huge difference because I'm doing this also to, you know, kind of curate knowledge for people. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's great. And speaking of curating knowledge, I have to shed light on something else I know you're doing. You're translating Hadley's book into Portuguese in all the free oh, time yes. that you have. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, I go to New York a lot. Really? We're going to cross so... paths then. I'm like there every month. Oh, wow. We should definitely uh, get together for a beer or a coffee. So I use that time to work on this translation and I actually got the idea from one of our chats. Uh, we are just talking about uh, this uh, data viz tool that people were like uh, kickstarting it. And one of the things that they wanted to do was translate it into Portuguese. And I was like, wow, uh, why can't I do that for something? And like Hadley's books, they are great. And my first idea was to translate R for data science. So I reached out to him and he was super nice about it. And like, unfortunately, because of rights, I couldn't work on that. But he told me that advanced R didn't have the same issues that R for data science and that I could translate it to into Portuguese. Uh, so yeah, I've started doing that this past November and I'm halfway through chapter one. And once we have a couple of chapters like uh, ready, we'll start publishing it on his website. So I'm quite uh, excited about that. I wanted to translate something that was uh, publicly available, you know, so that everyone mm -hmm. can use. And I go to his website every time that I need something, you know. So I thought, well, it should be this should be a nice way to give back to the community because if it weren't for the community, I don't think I would have done like half the things that I did. Do you think that there's a market for the type of work you're doing, like translating um, these books into other languages? Like, do you, Have you seen that not having books like Hadley's in Portuguese 
causes an accessibility problem at all? Yes. Uh, even during my undergrad, a lot of the material was in English. Uh, we had some handouts that were translated, but still the majority uh, of the material is in English. It's still. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's an issue and we're trying to make the data science community more inclusive and language barriers are a big issue. Um, I don't know if it's a big market, um, but I hope uh, at least some people could benefit from it. You know, if like a handful of people could do that, I'll be happy. If anything, it's, you know, just decreasing the barrier to entry for some people. Like exactly. even if they speak English, they might, you know, everyone always finds a reason not to learn to code because it's intimidating, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, if somebody just feels like 10% more comfortable learning it in Portuguese, yeah, that might be enough to push them over the edge to actually start looking into it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Definitely, that's the, the plan. What do you use? Are you using any like machine learning type name matching technologies to do this? Or are you doing it manually? No, I'm doing it manually. That is dedication. And I found it to be like harder than I thought because a lot of the terms we use, like since we learned it in English, uh, it's just easier to use the English term in a conversation and all that. But that's when I'm talking with colleagues from Brazil and they all know what I'm talking about already. But if you're new to the field and you're starting out, uh, I got to find good translations for the technical terms that I never had to think of. And that's been really hard, <laughs> but it, I'm learning a lot, especially because it's an advanced R book. So it's like, it talks about advancing programming yeah and like a lot of comp size stuff that i had i haven't had to think about in a long time especially in portuguese <laughs> so it's it's been a good learning experience to be honest i think that if you really enjoy this experience and you think that you know more people could get involved it would be cool to have kind of a project going where anyone can give back to, you know, the data science community by translating a book into, you know, another language. I mean, obviously there could be some incentive or some, you know, mm -hmm. reward or some community celebration. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, having that as kind of a program that gets people to think about accessibility and, you know, getting rid of like what's probably one of many barriers of entries for people to enter the industry i mean that could really make a big difference in diversity because you know uh, people yes, talk about especially on that yeah gender racial diversity the things that mm -hmm. we can see on the surface but yeah honestly like i don't think i personally think that the people your work will help most in this way mm -hmm. are the people who speak English, you know, perfectly, but it's yeah. their second language. 
you know, which mm-hmm. is like so many freaking people like you and I've been in academia for years. We know that like that <laughs> represents a large segment of oh my God, yes, the best and the brightest. I mean, it totally does. And what if, you know, like, I mean, honestly, like a lot of my best friends in undergrad were like Chinese or Korean and, mm-hmm. you know, you would never know that they had English as a second language because they speak completely fluently. But at at the end of the day, like the nuances and, you know, just even just sitting down and reading would be that much harder, even though nobody could tell. So I think this could really make people feel heard and inspired to enter Mm -hmm. um, in a way that doesn't exist now. So that would be really cool. Maybe you're onto something really big. If there's anyone (laughs) out there (laughs) uh, who wants to help out and translate this, uh, just uh, send me a message, a tweet or something. Uh, I'll I'll be glad to have more people working on this because uh, it's not a... It's a personal project, but it's not a project for me. Does that make sense? Definitely. For the community and like to all these things that you just said, uh, that's what I want to achieve. Like bring more people in and like uh, improve on our diversity. Uh, So that's the ultimate goal here. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast and to everyone listening. Thanks so much for engaging with us today. If you're looking to engage further with DataFem, please note that our Patreon is now live and each tier features a lot of perks that I think all you data folks will be excited about, ranging from networking opportunities to even conference discounts. So please take a look there. It's very easy to remember just patreon.com slash datafem. And in the meantime, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts because that ups our street cred. And while you're waiting for the next episode, please feel free to go back and listen to past episodes and engage with us on Twitter at Data.